You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. So good. Well, thanks y'all for coming. Slipped in a y'all already. Yeah. Appreciate it so much. Uh, thanks for turning the heat down a little bit for me, you know, or at least the humidity. I mean, the humidity is kind of the that's kind of the killer for us California boys. Whatever's going on with your water system everywhere <laughs> is a little overkill. You know, like uh, that steam bath thing. Like, wow, wow. And people say California's hot. And it is. It is hot, you know. But you got, you got this sauna, steam bath. You can see the air go in. You know, like, wow, that's... Ours is like fire. Fire. It's, I was sitting on the, in traffic in Sacramento and come back from Redding. Redding's usually the hot spot. It was 100 and it was hot. And I've uh, been driving. My, my poor car is like just hot. And, and now traffic and we're stuck. We've been driving for three hours and we're stuck. And I look over at the temperature on my, you know, outside temperature on my car. It's 123. Dude, that was just like Wednesday. And then today is 84. 84 and probably no humidity. Like there's just no moisture in there at all. So it, uh, I do appreciate it. it. I already feel it, though. I don't know if you guys feel it. Can you feel it still when it's this low? It's like oppressive. All right. Well, uh, tonight I uh, I mentioned this morning. You know, just if you're at all interested in the things that that I'm talking about or have talked about or whatever, it's all living and active uh, every week on the Kylo Show podcast. And my daughter and I. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. Thank you. There you go. There you go. One. One. That's good. And the crowd goes wild. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty fun, and uh, we I shared earlier that we, uh, between that podcast and Coffee Kids and Crazy, we passed the one million mark, you know, in a year, which is pretty cool, uh, of downloads. So we're, we're, we're happy with the, impact, the impact and influence that it's been carrying, and uh, we're just going to pour it on and do some other creative things this year, um, this year, like. 23, whatever year, next year. And um, if you're not on our email list, just go to the website and get on there. And thanks, whoever, for that nice commercial we just did. That was very nice. I'll skip all that. Uh, what I want to talk about tonight is uh, a bit, of, you know, it's, it's a little bit of the culture of honor stuff. And I always, I'm always a little entertained when somebody says, you know, when I when I come to their place, could you could you teach that culture of honor message, which is like thirty messages? <laughs> like, sure, yeah, yeah, that means I get to pick them. 
But uh, this one is uh, kind of developed over time. Um, it, uh, it, it's, it's a message that really talks about taking who we've been, who we, the momentum that, that, that we've created, and carrying it with us to where God's taking us. Because we're never static. You know, we don't stop moving. We keep going. And we're in that. And I, I'm surrounded with, with leaders my age. And I don't know if you can tell, but I, I'm getting older. And the mirror tells me that. The rest of me is like, no, it's not happening. Okay, okay. Yard work, too. Um, there's a lot of transition going on. There's a lot of movement from a generation that has poured out its life to get a result, to get to a place. And when we go from here to there, it's, it's unusual to have a successful transition. Uh, far too often... We, we, we drop what's most important. It's, it's throughout history. You, you think about it and you go, wow, how could, there, how could there have possibly been a pharaoh that didn't know about Joseph? I know about Joseph. You know, how, how did you miss it right here? Well, it's not tough to do when you're wrapped up in what you want to do. How in the world do we have a whole group of elders in Israel that forgot about God? Hello? You're God's chosen people, and you're the elders. And you, and you don't know what God's been doing? Huh. That's pitiful. Solomon, you'd think Solomon would have some kind of strategic legacy plan. But his son, Rehoboam, I mean, if you, if you got the word bum in your name, <laughs> this is going to be hard. He thinks it's a good idea to get rid of the wisest man's counselors. I don't need those people. I'm doing myself. <laughs> Bum. <laughs> and so it isn't. It's not like it's uncommon. It's actually very common. That moving from here to there. We, we, we forget stuff. I don't know if you ever moved house, you know, but... Where's that box? Where's that box? I saw you had it. Where'd you put that box? I, I, I gave it to him. I don't have it. I, well, how do we lose that box? Moving from here to there. It's not hard to do. I don't know if you've ever been to Europe. It's been a few years since I've been to Europe. And uh, when you go to Scotland or Ireland or England mainly those areas, 
Uh, and you look out over the city, you see something amazing. You, you see so many chimneys. There's like 60 chimneys on one building. You're like, seriously? You need 60 chimneys? And then you go inside of them and every room has a fireplace. You're like, oh, okay, I get it. It's cold here. It's cold here and this pretty much is a testimony that at one point in their history, everyone gathered around a fire. That's the testimony. All these structures have these chimneys, and all these rooms have these fireplaces, because at one point, that was central to what they were doing. They would gather around the fire, and their entire architecture is a testimony that they gathered around the fire. Sherry and I were staying in one of these hotels in Edinburgh, in Scotland, and we got in the room, and there's a fireplace. I looked at her like, fireplace. I called down, hey, you got one of them longs? I'd like to get a couple fires going tonight. says, oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't have any logs. Because these fireplaces are condemned. It's illegal. It's illegal to light a fire in this building. So wait a minute, you got chimneys everywhere. Yeah. We used to light fires. We used to have fires here. They're illegal now. They're all closed off. Like, hmm. Wow. This is what happens in the church, is that we get momentum. We have, we have a group of people, a collection of people, who have gone through all the stages of church life and ministry, and we finally discover how important the fire is. And the next generation is standing there. And we drop the fire. We drop the fire because we got other more important things to focus on. And we miss an opportunity to gain momentum one generation to the next. Because we fail to communicate the top priority of heaven in our growth and maturity of being ambassadors on the earth is that we carry fire into the world. This is the only thing that makes us any different than every other earthly organization is the fire. 
That's it. That's it. Our super fragile, expialidocious <laughs> programs don't matter to anybody, really, but us that are so impressed with ourselves and how they go and how many people have been through it. It's like so amazing. High five yourself. <laughs> like that. Okay, that's great. That's great. That the, lots of organizations are doing that. There's one thing that makes us different. It seems like <laughs> it seems like each generation searches for it until they find it. And throughout history, we see it. We see all these chimneys throughout our history. And, and, and something has kept us from passing the baton successfully, generation to generation. I am so encouraged to be here tonight and watch what's happening here. Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, those people are young. Oh my gosh. Did you see what just happened? Did you see what we did? Did, did anybody feel that? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. There's hope. Yeah. Because when a movement stops moving, it becomes a museum where we talk about what used to happen. Oh, that's in our history. That's in our denominational history. That, well, we have a building, it has stuff in it. <laughs> that's the consequence. When a movement stops moving, when we lose our momentum, we have to start over. And, there, and there's a reason for this. I'm going to just spend a little bit of time pointing this out. Jesus, Jesus says, all right, you guys, I'm going to give you some gifts, okay? When Jesus is handing out gifts, we're like lining up for him, right? like, okay, here you go, 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 here you go. And we go, that's cool, that's cool. We'll take three of them. We'll take three of them, you keep the other two. Those other two are scary. <laughs> messy. People make fun of us. Hurt my... Supercalifragilistic. XBLA ego. Because <laughs> I care so much what everybody thinks of me. I never really realize that nobody's really thinking about me. <laughs> but here's here's crucial piece of what happens to us. And I just, I just want to turn the lights on because we're in it right now. We're in it right now. This, is, this, this momentum is moving to, to a new generation. And it feels like it's, it's happening all at once. 
Let's start with the pastor, shall we? Pastor. Pastor is a gift. It's, a, it's an anointing. It's a, it's a way that you see. It's like if, if you had a lens and you looked through it, you go, oh my gosh, look at that. Everything is yellow. Everything I look at is yellow because the lens I'm looking at is yellow. You go, hey, look, a yellow zebra. That's a yellow zebra. Why? Because everything I see is affected by my anointing. And when your anointing is pastor or you're a five-fold office pastor, you got it really bad. <laughs> People actually see you and say, you are my pastor. It's because they experience with you a level of connection that makes them feel safe because you have that anointing. Pastors are, hey, Bob and Mary, hey, how you doing? Missed you last week. Did you get my call Monday morning? I told you. I missed you. Noticed you weren't here. Gosh, it just breaks my heart when you're not here. But I called you. I just love you so much. You know, I love your family. I love all three of your kids. Hey, hey, we got a marriage seminar coming up. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help your connection. Your marriage. We're going to talk about sex, Bob. (laughs) We've got a kids thing coming up. The youth are going to just have an amazing time. It's going to be glorious. Don't want your kids to miss it. Tell you what, I tell you what, you know what, hey, don't let anything stop you, okay? You need some money, I'll give it to you. You're right. I love it. Why? Because I. Love you and your family. Okay, I don't want you. I don't want you to ever feel like you can't get on stuff. Are you guys plugged in here? Are you still feel plugged in here? Because it's so important to me that you're plugged. We're doing life on life. Part of the community and the family. So important to me. I mean, if you need anything ever, I mean, I want you to call me, okay? I mean, call me, call me in the middle of the night. Call me. I, I, you're not getting my voicemail. I'm going to get up and answer that phone. Do you have my number? Here, take my phone. Call me on my phone. <laughs> Why? Why? Because now what I want you to do now is I want you to go out into all the world and tell everyone how much. We're going to build this church on how much I can love people. And so pastor-driven churches are about 50 people. But pastoral anointing is focused on the sheep. Focused on God's people. The Christians. And so the sheep discover that. Like, oh my gosh, that anointing loves me, answers my phone. 
is there for me. Feels bad when I'm unhappy. Is easy to manipulate with complaining. Because a good day in a pastor's life are happy sheep. So we will vote first pastor in our setting up of church government on the earth. Now, if you ever look at the Bible... Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, get around verse 27 or so, and it says God, and God has appointed, God has appointed in the church. It doesn't say, I, Paul, think this is a good idea. It doesn't say, in my leadership book that I wrote, in Ephesus, what seems to be working is. He says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then workers of miracles, gifts of healing, so on and so forth. Guess where pastor falls in that line? Keep turning the pages. <laughs> Keep looking. Get into the maps. Keep going. Start back in Genesis. Nowhere. Doesn't show up. God has appointed first, second, third, and then. We've appointed first the anointing focused on us. And so we turn churches into restaurants and hotels. That's an evangelist right there. So that the number one center of attention in a church is the Christians. Christians actually believe, because leaders have taught them, that the reason we have church is so that Christians will come. We're not being fed here. We're not getting fed here. <laughs> Me and my m family are going to go to another church. <laughs> Worship's too loud. It's too long. Sing songs I don't know. It's too cold in here. <laughs> no place to park. I had to walk to the door. Nobody carried me. <laughs> doesn't, feel, doesn't feel like a community, a family anymore. It doesn't feel like it used to, but now it just feels all busy. We're going to go to another restaurant, church. <laughs> Huge problem. 
It's only 3.30 where I live, so we could be here a while. (laughs) 4.30, 4.30, sorry, it's 4.30. See, we need a revolution. And every revolution has casualties. Number one casualty in this revolution are the Christians. We have to realize we're not the reason that we have church. The reason we have church is not so that we will come. But the anointing of pastor is satisfied when the Christians are happy. Just like a hotel owner or a cruise ship director. Happy customers. Keep them coming back. And them and their families will come back and keep us going. Butts and seats. Butts and seats. That's why we're here. Butts and seats. Let's say it together. Butts and seats. Butts and seats. I'm not even angry. I'm just telling you the truth. But this, this is one of the key things that gets in the way of this baton being passed to the next generation. Is really how we define success. The teaching anointing. When we have a teacher at the helm, when there's a teacher up here, and week after week what we're going to get is the Word of God. You bring your Bible? Are you a Christian? <laughs> Open your Bible, not the fake one, well, the one that makes noise. <laughs> I want you to notice that we got our plans for our new church up there. It looks like a university. Dang right, looks like a university. <laughs> we're going to have class after class after class. That's why we're here, to learn the word. So we are ready in season and out. And when you have a, a teacher, the teaching anointing does a fantastic job of teaching truth and error. And they drive, they, they, they'll just create a line right down the middle of the room. Like, Everyone who wants to be right, over here with me. Because beginning at this line, And moving in that direction are increasing levels of deception. And that, my friend, is why we have other churches in this town. (laughs) And now we have 300 teachers, 3,000 teachers probably in Charlotte who disagree. And now we have fracture lines all over the body of Christ. Why? Because first... Teachers. Because we're so determined to be right. And they will know we were Christians because we were right. (laughs) No, no, no. That's Facebook. (laughs) That's not the body of Christ. 
And then we have the evangelists. The evangelists, I mean, if you're even here tonight, congratulations. <laughs> you're like, what are we doing in a room sitting again? <laughs> like, you're going to tell me one thing I don't know already? I've been in church my whole life. You're like, you're going to tell me one thing I don't know. I don't think you are. The Bible doesn't say to sit. The Bible says to go. <laughs> go. Go into all the world. And here we are sitting again. Well, George, who I led to the Lord, George and I are going to go. We're going to go to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. Well, not in here. I don't want them to come in here because they'll teach them to sit. <laughs> so we're going to start our own church. That's what we're going to do. We're going to start our own church called the Army of God. That's right. We're going to teach them the, about the blood of Jesus, about how to lead other people to the Lord, and how to go. We're not even going to have chairs in our church. <laughs> And then we have the prophetic anointing or the prophets. And the prophetic anointing is really the language of the, the spirit realm. You know what I mean? Everything. Everything means something. All of it. Every, every situation, every name, every color. Prophetic people do not have digital clocks. That's not a digital clock. That is a portal to heaven right there. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. 1234, 1234, 1234, divine order. It's a moment of divine order. <laughs> Call the intercessors. Tell them. That is the second time today that happened. That's the number of witness. Number two is the number of witness. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, you got a blue shirt on. Blue shirt, that's revelation. You're covered in revelation. Got two arms, two legs, that's four, the number of the Holy Spirit. You got a head, head, that's five, that's grace. You're covered in grace and the Holy Spirit and revelation. In Jesus' name. All day. Every day. If you got a prophetic friend, be nice to them, man. They got a lot going on all day long. <laughs> the apostolic or apostles. Probably fewer apostles than you think because a lot of people, when you, when you hear first, they think boss. First apostle. Golly, I guess I'm an apostle. Look there. I'm the leader. I'm first. I'll be your apostle. Good news is, nobody knows what they are. Hey, that's fantastic. I could, I'll teach you what an apostle is. Strange how... They look like me. <laughs> apostle. First apostles. First. And God has appointed in the church first apostle 
and we don't know what they are. Well, apostles, apostles are old guys. First qualification of an apostle is old. <laughs> Got to be old. Got to be like a pastor of pastors, like other pastors respect you. You have a proven ministry. You've, you're still married. That helps. I mean, it's, we have to defend it if it's not that, you know, makes it tougher. Be best if you like planted some churches. See, have some place to travel. The apostles travel. They're old guys that travel to the places where they planted churches. The bigger your church, the easier it is to call you an apostle. Because hmm. we know that Jesus chose 12 50-year-olds. <laughs> Proven in ministry, like blowing up cities and stuff, <laughs> cutting off ears, denying they ever knew Jesus. Stable. <laughs> Mature. Study to have shown themselves approved. What a horrible leadership model that is. Imagine, yep, you can't be an entrepreneur until you're 50. I'm tired. Just right when you get going, hand it quick to another 50 year old. It's usually not how it works. It's usually like some guy starts a church, keeps going. It's 80. <laughs> Peel that key from my dead cold fingers. I dare you. Okay. Now you've been with me for the whole time. But you're the only one I trust. How old are you? 73, really. Don't screw it up. <laughs> Hitting a little close to home, isn't it? I love it. First apostles. Apostles are, are first the ones who know how to bring heaven. If you don't have an, an apostle who's bringing heaven with signs and wonders and mighty deeds, and you have a church of 10 million people, you're not an apostle. The size of your church, how many churches you've planted, has nothing to do with you being an apostle. That's usually a sign of your leadership gift. 
Huge leaders build giant environments. But if your environment is not saturated with the supernatural realities of heaven, you're not an apostle. Any more than the CEO of Starbucks is an apostle. The CEO of McDonald's must be an apostle according to the church's definition of apostles. The reason we lose the fire is because we get rid of the fire keeper. We get rid of the one who is first and foremost focused on God, not the Christians. Apostles don't even really care if you come to church. They didn't call you back. Because they can't figure out how you got their number. All they care about is if he comes. And the crazy thing is that when God comes to church, the parking lot's full. He gave us gifts. But for whatever reason, we, we figured, you know what? We would like a nice, tidy, controllable system. So here's how we're going to run this thing. You know, the more people that you collect, the more you need an attorney. So we're going to have first teachers. Teaching pastors, or pastors who are teachers, that's what we're going to have first. Because we need good Bible and a good place for Christians to hide. But we got to do something about all the people that are dying, so we're going to have an evangelist. Because we got to get new customers. So we need somebody to tend to our product, what makes us unique, our theology. we got to take good care of our customers and keep them coming back. And we need a marketing program. In Jesus' name. <laughs> and they're leaving. <laughs> problem is we got a supernatural enemy and we got a natural organization now some for some reason look lord put us on the planet with a supernatural enemy who has like a bazooka and we have a stick. So we're fighting a guy with a bazooka with a stick. We know that's ridiculous, so we use a stick on each other. <laughs> but it's not three, it's five, isn't it? 
And it doesn't start with teachers or with pastors. It's first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Because now, now when you got a, a Bible teacher who's under the influence of the supernatural being lit up, there is a different teacher in this pulpit. Now you're like, oh my gosh, look at this book. It's full of angels, <laughs> miracles. There's even demons in here. What is, hey, people, open your Bible to the book of Acts. There you go. And now what you got is you have someone who wants you to get the supernatural right. And now we're equipping the saints to do the supernatural work of the ministry. And to not just be satisfied with being right or being comfortable. So here's the adjustment that has to happen in order to get heaven to come to earth. I just want you to know I did all these graphics myself. <laughs> but you understood what I said right there, right? That's all I needed. That's all that graphic had to do. I don't need to sell anything. The adjustment that has to first happen is we have to look for welcome. Apostles and prophets. And this is the scary part because there's so much trust involved. So you have to have a healthy community of people to allow for people to hear from God. Because we all hear from God. But if we don't ever confront each other, if we don't ever tell each other the truth, if we don't know how to create healthy leadership environments, if we don't know how to honor one another, then we just want somebody to tell us what to do. Tell us what to do. And if you have an apostle and prophets, and they're just telling you what to do, that's a great way to go off the cliff. And then we watch people go off the cliff and go, see? See, that's just dangerous. All those people died. They all died in the first generation. That's right. That's what happened. Signs and wonders and miracles and supernatural all died in the first generation. We just need to know the Bible. And be able to fight with other people who care about the Bible. Just other Christians. First apostles. First, you have to light up the room with fire. There's got to be a reason for all these chimneys. The body of Christ runs on fire. Or it points to the ashes. We'll just teach about what used to happen. And the next generation is, is here like, okay, give me the baton. And they think the baton, if we're not doing our job of pointing to apostles, they think the job is the, is the pulpit. And we'll pass the pulpit and not the fire. 
We'll have our leaders trained in the pulpit and not in the fire. We'll have our boards trained in the pulpit and not in the fire. We won't know how to identify, develop, cultivate, mature young apostles. Why? Because apostles were old. You can't even grow an apostle until you're 50. Then boom, there it is. Didn't see it. I didn't see it this whole time, and now I see it. You could identify a 30-year-old pastor... 30-year-old evangelist, 30-year-old Bible teacher, even a 30-year-old prophet. But you couldn't point out a 30-year-old apostle to save your life because they're old. (laughs) So we have apostles who never get matured so they don't lead everybody off a cliff. So they end up out there with a fireworks show, and everybody's like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh. And they think, yeah, I'm a mature leader. No, no, you are dangerously anointed and unaccountable and kind of a jerk. This is all supposed to be done in the body. Unless we create a paradigm where it can't. Now, one of the things that happens when you have apostles and prophets and, and they're pulling on heaven and heaven is showing up and you get all this momentum you end up with people who just really don't care what anybody thinks. Because I'm not going to care what you wrote on Facebook, you who, I don't know, and you don't know me, but you're an expert because you were trained by a lawyer. See, this is the problem Jesus had. Jesus came to lawyer country. And did apostle stuff. And they killed him. Jesus shows up and is bringing heaven everywhere he goes. Signs and wonders and miracles. And the lawyers are like, that's not happening in my ministry. One of us needs to adjust. You got a scripture for why he has to adjust? (laughs) Me too. If the goal is about being right, then we stay stuck. But if the goal is about building and protecting the fire and growing the fire, and if the world needs anything right now, it's the fire. It's the fire. But the next generation... Got some dragons to fight because they're young. They're young and 
Something happens to you when you get old. I don't know what it is, but you just kind of like say, I don't really care what you think. I'm going to wear this thing on my shirt because I hooked my glasses on it. And uh, I don't care if it's cool. I don't care if it goes with my shoes. I don't care at all what you think because I've lost seven pairs of glasses in fires pools, and pig poop. <laughs> that old people just get that way. I don't care what you think. I didn't do it for you. My hip hurts. <laughs> Young people, different animal, right? Why? Because they have not yet slayed the fear of man. And so the fear of man is a force that is working overtime on our young leaders and our young people. It's going to get better. Don't leave. (laughs) They've not yet had to because especially in this day and age, David was the generation before, and David is a man of war. And our generation was a generation of war. We had to overcome a lot of churchianity to get the fire established, to, to welcome apostles and prophets in, to let them influence all the anointings. And David creates a world of victory for Solomon, a man of peace, to grow up in. And so Solomon has no wars. Solomon handles everything with negotiation and wisdom. The problem is David ends up marrying a bunch of foreign wives, like a bunch and compromising Israel. Keeping the peace. Keeping the peace. Keeping the peace. Because when people are mad at you, you're doing something wrong. You must be doing something wrong. Look at how many people are mad at you. I must be doing something wrong. People are unfollowing me. I must be doing something wrong. I'm not reflecting the culture to itself. I must be doing something wrong. Sound man, you ready? I'm going to throw up a video here. Not like, but I mean like. Ready? The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with the white shirt, the lady with the trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff, will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat (laughs) tries to maintain his individuality, but little by little, 
He looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. Here's a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First he makes a full turn to the rear and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. <laughs> now we'll see if we can use... See if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Notice they take off their hats. And now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. We've just been two years through two, two years of this. I know we like to think that I wouldn't turn around. I wouldn't put my hat on. I wouldn't take it off and then put it back on again. Not me. The other challenge is going to be the pace that we live in. We live in such a fast pace that we expect everything to happen yesterday. Like, I cannot believe I can't get this Wi Fi. To load. It's taking forever. It's taking forever. It's taking forever. It's, it's not taking forever. It's been four seconds. But we are conditioned, even as leaders, we're conditioned to get stuff done now. Get this building built now. Get this team now. Get these results now. I'm behind. I'm behind. I'm always behind. And that's culture training. You know, we're just trained in a culture that really is impatient and impulsive and entitled. And immature. And 
not accustomed to suffering or discomfort even. And those are all supposed to be our character strengths. Think about, you know, if, if you do go to Europe and get a chance to check out some of these, this is really a pretty display. They did a good job with that wall there. I mean the LED wall. <laughs> the picture's not usually that pretty, but it looks a lot like that. And uh, you go to these castles and you find out, oh my gosh, some of these castles took a hundred 200, 300, 400, 500 years to build. America's a medium-sized castle old. Can you imagine setting out to build a castle? You're like, okay, I have a dream, I have a dream, I have a dream. Here it is right here, Okay. All right, do we know anybody with a shovel? <laughs> we need to dig some footings. This could take 10 years. <laughs> generation after generation after generation after generation working on the same goal. And the guy that starts it knows there's no chance he's going to spend one night in this place. See, we're part of eternity, and we forgot that. We think our ministry is a big deal. Our ministry is the end of the world. Pretty much the world ends when we're gone. So I'd like to get as much glory while I'm here. And I don't really think that I'm a blip in eternity. And that was probably long. That was probably 150 years. That blip right there, it's more like, that's right. That was my life right there. That was me. That was me in all my glory in eternity. And so if we, the generation that is handing to the next generation, if we, are so wrapped up in our glory. You know, how, you know how hard I worked? You know how much I accomplished? You know how much, how much I'm giving you? Do you know how important this is to me? Do you understand? Half of that. When I, anybody have children? Do you love them? If they're here, you don't have to answer. <laughs> My oldest, she, she got married when she was 18. She married a boy, 19. We, we got to the altar and had her, uh, you know, who gives this woman to this man? And I said, honey, seriously, you're going to trade me in for that him? You want to think this over? You don't have to. We can get out of here right now. <laughs> I love Ben. But it, was, it, it really meant something to me. I've done a ton of weddings that never meant a thing to me. 
So I was like, who gives this woman to this man? Neither her mother or I. <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. And then, she's 19, she gets pregnant. She's a teen pregnancy. <laughs> and, you know, they, they go to the hospital, they have the baby, and the hospital let them take it home. <laughs> These people can't keep a fish alive. Life happens much faster than church, than organizations. We have to tap into that heaven is family, the body of Christ is living. It's not waiting for you and I to be ready. We have to live with eternity in mind, which is we are essentially connecting the strength of our life to the progression and advantage of the next generation. And to them, a righteous man lays up an inheritance for his children's children. So that the grandchildren start with momentum that was given to them by their grandparents, not their parents. Their grandparents lived to give their grandchildren momentum. John Adams is you know, writing to his wife, Abigail. This is one of the letters. I left all the misspelled words in there for you. But look at how this works. You know, like, I must study war and politics so that my kids can study math and science, so that their kids can study art and tapestry, so that, so that the momentum that is moving through the generations is an inheritance, is a gift, is a legacy. But it comes from us thinking, Eternity, not how important we are and how much glory we get. King David, you know, I'm going to build you a house, God. God says, not, no, you're not. Nope. Bloody mess. Keep it. (laughs) And so what does David do? He stacks up wealth. For his son. He trusted his son with what was so important to him. And this is our mindset in thinking eternally. So I understand that it won't be me who gets the glory if we get there. It's just part of the momentum. And happy to be part of the momentum.
that's not how that goes. Well, I'll just put it all up there, just in the wrong order. I don't know why that got all goofied up. But here we go. You've probably seen this. Boom. Boom. Here we go. It's all there now. <laughs> strong people, or hard times, create strong people, right? Strong people create good times. Good times create weak people. And weak people create hard times. And here's the loop. And this is just how life works. And we're in a spot where there's a bunch of hard times being generated by a bunch of folks who really don't know how to be uncomfortable. And don't know how to fight evil. Don't know how to go to war. And if we're just, we're just hoping that if we just keep marrying foreign wives... That this is going to get better. Like, no, no, we're just going to look like a bunch of foreigners with their gods. The only thing that fixes this is the fire. And for whatever reason, fire is often found in difficulty. Because I have to confront my own fear of man and my own comforting myself. And so we either build a fire, keep the fire, protect the fire, or we stand up here and we preach about the ashes and how it used to be and what used to happen in a, in a land in a time far, far away. The next challenge that we have really is that what got us here, how we got what we got to where we are, is not going to get them to where they're going. They're not going to do their generation the way we did ours. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I mean, I want to I teach you how to get more horsepower and noise in whatever it is that you're doing. I just want to boom, bang, crash, wham, here you go. You're welcome. Glad I could be assistance. And yet, 14-year-olds are polled recently. And what would you like your first car to be? Well, I would actually like... A Why? Why? Why do you want your first car to be a, a golf cart? I can't help you build a golf cart. I've never built a golf cart. That feels like, that feels like failing. Like, no, no, actually, actually, I think, I think actually, I think we can build a golf cart better than your noisemaker, faster. Hmm. Okay. 
Well, not really sure how to help you. This is a reality because I want to teach you how to do what I did. But I didn't have an iPhone when I built most of what I did. Or all the other fancy stuff you got going on. I don't even really know how to find that YouTube I was looking for. I was watching earlier. Can't seem to find it. Could you find it for me? Yeah. Yeah, and you scare me that you don't know anything about my world. And you say you want to help me. And I have no idea how you would help me either. And here's our dilemma. How do we honor each generation? How do we hang on to each other when it feels like we're losing value for each other? when I'm afraid of what you're going to do if I give it to you, and I'm afraid of what you're going to do to me if I take it from you. This morning we talked about what chases away fear. And it's maturing our love. And what chases away this fear is being willing to adjust, grow, and build and protect that connection. Because the transfer of eternity is moving through the generation that's handing the baton to the next generation. This is momentum. This is kingdom momentum. And if we drop the baton again, we start like orphans. We start like orphans who have no inheritance, no legacy, and no history. And we start out so proud of our big giant life that we built, needing all the glory, and then protecting it from anybody else trying to take it. And so, I spoke with the leaders last night about creating an environment where we have mothers and fathers who don't raise up sons and daughters. I know all the sons and daughters. I know the sons. Preaching, I know a lot. True identity has sons. I get it. Got it. Stop it. We got to have mothers and fathers who raise up mothers and fathers so that we have powerful people that are running together for the, for the well-being of the whole family and that we don't just create leaders who are surrounded by children their whole leadership life. You're my son and you're my daughter and you'll always be little and I'll always be Big and glorious. <laughs> Ready? Go. And that's how we end up with 50-year-old apostles. Because we're afraid of people being powerful in ownership and responsibility and running with us. And people aren't ready for the baton because they've been treated like children. And the ones that got sick of being treated like a child left. So they could go be an adult away from us. We need each other. More desperately now maybe than ever before. And I'm just saying that because I'm alive. I don't know what happened before. But it is desperate 
that we are successful, both in cultivating the apostolic and prophetic fire, bringing in what we have to bring in to explode this thing, tend to it, and move it through the generation successfully. Train people in fire. The, the pulpit will come. The teachers will help us do a good job with that. But the teachers have to have a supernatural paradigm, not a natural organization paradigm. The pastors, the pastors aren't here to try to get everybody to love them. Pastors are here because the presence is here. And in the presence, the good shepherd is here. And so pastors get good at leading people to the good shepherd, not to themselves. And evangelists, they don't know what to do with all the help. Everybody's running around town, releasing supernatural at the gas station, the grocery store. Fish are jumping in the boat like crazy. <laughs> There's five of them on purpose, but they're all scared of each other. That's what they think. My anointing is the best one. My anointing is right. My anointing should be leading. When in fact, we work as a team. And we know each other according to the Spirit. And we get good at this. And we'll talk later about how to do that. First changes have to be made is that the generations love each other and that we are cheering each other on. Okay? So, uh, if you are between the ages of zero and 35, I'd like you to stand up, please. Okay. <laughs> just a random number. I just, I, I often say 33, so everybody would think, oh, that's when they killed Jesus. <laughs> Here we are. Here's tomorrow. Yeah. Looking at him. All right, if you're standing, I want you to raise your hand. And if you're sitting, I want you to go put your hand on somebody who's raising their hand. As soon as somebody's touching you, put your hand down, okay? This way we can find people who are still yet to be found. If somebody's touching you, put your hand down. If somebody has their hand on you, put your hand down. There you go. Anybody else? We've got a couple over here. There we go. Got a guy over here. You can put your hand on two people or right next to them. I'm just trying to get hands down. All right. Everybody good? We got it. Fantastic. All right. You who have your hand on one of these other people, repeat after me. I see you. I, see you. I welcome you. 
I want you to feel my strength. And I want you to know I trust you. I trust you with the work of my life. Please receive this inheritance. I know you can handle it. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for adding your strength to our mission. I honor you and see you as powerful. You are a partner. I'm on your team. Thank you for all you're going to do for the glory of our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. That's good stuff right there. That is good stuff right there. Okay, if you are 36 and still alive, <laughs> stand up, all right? 36 up until however high that goes in this room. You have to be 35 or 36, you can't be both, okay? Pioneers. <laughs> okay. If you're standing, raise your hand. If you're sitting, go put your hand, both hands, and a foot. <laughs> You might have to take three. You may even have to just get in a circle with some folks. I don't know. But keep your hand up until you got somebody that uh, has engaged you here. Just kind of moving around the room. If we have anybody available, anybody who has less than three. Oh, this poor couple in the front didn't have anybody. So sad. There we go. Okay, you may circle. Just go ahead and grab them both there. There we go. There you go. You can just group hug. You can move her. There you go. There we go. Like electricity flows through, you know. Just put your hand on somebody next to you. I knew this was going to be a problem. 
All right, if you got your hand on somebody, repeat after me. I see you. I appreciate you. Thank you for your life's investment. Thank you for the momentum. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for your example. I receive the inheritance that you've trusted me with. I will protect it. I will invest it well. I will make sure it grows. Because I want to be like you and pass an inheritance to the next generation. I'm a wise investment. Thank you for trusting me. I am your partner. I'm on your team. I honor you. I'm in your legacy. And I will work to glorify our Father. With your life's work. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. That's good stuff right there. That's good stuff right there. You've been listening to the Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message. We're sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us.